Hey King's Arms, it is so good to be sharing God's Word with you today. Well, we have got such a powerful passage to look at as we continue our series Exalted, looking at the glory of God as seen in the songs of Scripture. And this passage is a vision that a guy called John, who was one of the earliest followers of Jesus, had. He wrote it down and it forms part of the last book of the Bible, the book called Revelation. It's one of my favourite passages in the whole Bible. It is so, so rich. But before we get to it, how is it going to help us? Why should we listen to this passage? Well, if you've ever felt like you're drowning in all the bad news, if you're struggling to stay afloat, if you've ever wondered if your prayers are making any difference, are they just hitting the, uh, the heavens or feeling like brass? Have you, have you ever grown weary trying to hold back the unrelenting culture that's trying to stifle every voice that disagrees? Well, this song comes from the throne room of heaven and it has got something to say into all of that. And I'm going to do it Discovery Bible Study uh, style, using that method to open it up. I love this way of studying the Bible because it is so easy for anyone to learn. And you can use it with your friends, you can use it with your family, you can use it with your parents. Parents, you can use it with your kids. You can, what we're going to do is we're going to read the passage twice and then we're going to answer four simple questions. So let's pop it up on the screen and we'll read it together. Then I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. But one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir of David's throne, has won the victory. He's worthy to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb that looked at it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. He has seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out to every part of the earth. And he stepped forward and he took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They sang a new song with these words, You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. Sorry, I lost my track there. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. That was the uh, uh, New Living Translation. Let's read it in the New International Translation. I found reading it the second time super helpful. So let's read it again. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seal and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one there was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And I saw a lamb looking as if been been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He came and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. And each one had a harp and they were holding the golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests and to serve our God. 
and they will reign on the earth. Such a rich passage, isn't it? Filled with all sorts of uh, mysterious stuff, elders and um, beings with eyes and all that sort of thing and angels and, and stuff. And let's, let's, let's dive into it. And the first question that we're gonna look at, we've got four questions to look at. And the first one we're gonna look at is this, what does this tell us about God? What does this passage tell us about God? And it says in the, the, one of the first verses, isn't it? And I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. In the ancient world, scrolls represented not just information, but the orders of the king. In this case, the scroll most likely represented the divine plan for the world or the next stage of it. What does it tell us about God? It's that he's got a plan, that he's in charge. It might not look like it from our earthly perspective, but John, who's writing this, has been taken to the heavenly places and he is looking at things from heaven's perspective. And what he tells us is when you look from that perspective, there is no question God has a plan and he's bringing it about. So if you're currently bombarded with the view of this world, the social media, news cycle, I know often I am feeling overwhelmed by it all. We're constantly being manipulated by information, usually to sell us stuff. If you're feeling under the pressure and the weight and the confusion of that, if you're seeing, if you're drowning in the depth of human depravity that's displayed relentlessly on this little five inch screen that we carry around, it's important to stop. It's important to take a breath, to get into the word, and to take a look, what's the view from heaven? You know, I regularly just close my eyes, just slow my breathing, and just take a moment to picture God over the universe. To slow down. A friend of mine holds his palms face down. I oh, can't, you can't see that. <laughs> face down. Sometimes he shakes his hand to show that I can't hold this God. I'm, I'm, I can't cope with this. Only you can. Take a moment right now. Maybe you want to close your eyes. Maybe you want to slow your breathing. And just say with me, God has a plan. God has a plan. Pause in the craziness of all the news cycle and stop and think, God has a plan. He has a plan. What does it tell us about God? Verse 5 says, stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah. I saw a lamb in verse 6 that looked as if it had been slaughtered, but it was now standing. It tells us that Jesus is the lion and the lamb. He is the lion and the lamb. I always worry, worry on a Sunday when we sing songs about the lion and the lamb. I wonder what the guests think. You know, do they think they walked into a National Farmers Union or meeting or something? Have they got a clue what, on all the, what earth is all about? Or here's my chance to explain it. Although we should probably do a better job of explaining it week by week. Have you ever wondered why we sing about the lion and the lamb? Well, here it is. This breathtaking picture, Jesus identified, as Phil unpacked last week, the God-man identified as both the lion, strong, majestic, supreme ruler of the universe, the one who has achieved victory. We love the lion. Football teams, nations, businesses, they identify with the lion. We love the lion. And Jesus is the lion of all lions. But what's fascinating is he didn't achieve his victory through domination. In fact, his victory didn't come from being a lion at all. He achieved victory as a lamb. Not many football teams or nations or businesses identify with the lamb, but Jesus does. But not just any lamb, 
a lamb that was willingly slain. This scripture tells us that our King Jesus, our God, man, King, is both majestic as a lion, but humble and gentle as a lamb. And that's one of the reasons that we worship him. Only Jesus, the lion and the lamb, can open the scroll and bring God's plan into reality. You know, I was writing to someone this week with questions about sexuality and other things, and I said this, look, ultimately, society today wants to define sex and sexuality as a primary issue. Now, it's an important issue, but it's not a primary issue. It's a secondary issue. The primary issue, and there is only one primary issue, is this. Who is Jesus? Is he, who, is he who the Bible says he is? The lion, majestic over everything. The lamb, the one slain for our sins. Is he the one who, as this passage describes, has history in his hands? God's plan for mankind. He controls it. Is he that one? Because if he is, then what he says about sex and sexuality and everything else is the only thing that matters. And if he isn't, Well, nothing matters and we can believe what we want. Who is Jesus? That's the primary question. Every other question is secondary. That's the primary issue. And each one of us has to answer that question for ourselves. If we'll receive it, this passage tells us that this Jesus, the lion, is also the lamb, majestic in his humility. And that's why we worship. That's why we worship. And that's how we stand against the the, the onslaught of culture is we say, look, these questions that you're wrestling with are important, but there's a primary question, and I want to talk to you about that. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? But why was he slain? The song in verse 9 tells us, you were slaughtered and your blood was ransomed for God. Lambs were at the very centre of the Jewish sacrificial system. Priests sacrificed lambs and sprinkled their blood to symbolise that their lives had been taken in the place of the life of the one who'd sinned. But scripture tells us it it was a temporary solution. It was a sticking plaster until the true Lamb of God would come and lay his life down as a ransom for many. What this passage tells us about about God is that there is power in the blood of Jesus. There is power in the blood of Jesus. And there are many things that the ransom of Jesus' blood is said to achieve. Matthew 26 is it's poured out for the forgiveness of the sins of many. If you need forgiveness today, you can have it. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Colossians 1.20 says that this blood is an agent of reconciliation, that God made peace through his blood. I prayed for a family once for reconciliation. It happened. The family were restored. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus, his blood made a way. Hebrews 9.14 says his blood cleanses our consciences. If you're weighed down by secret guilt, let's face it, your fight for your, pri- your private browser window uh, history is not really private. It's, 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 it's public in the kingdom. It's public in God's eyes. Come and have it cleansed by the blood of Jesus. 1 John 1, 7 says his blood purifies us from sin itself. So if you're battling addiction, come and be empowered for freedom because Jesus didn't just deal with the, the sin that we'd done, but the very sin nature. He came to transform us from the inside out through the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 10, 19 said this blood gives us confidence to approach the holy presence of God. If you struggle to hold your head up high when you approach God, gain confidence because God allowed the, his, the blood of his own son to be shed to enable you to come. Of course he wants you to come if he let his own son's 
blood be shed on your mistake. Here's the thing, the punchline of our culture is this, be your best self. You be you. I wrote this before, Phil wrote the same thing in his preach last week, God's obviously speaking to us. You be you, that's the punchline, it's the theme of every Disney movie ever. It's the spirit of self-actualization that fulfillment comes from looking within. But the brokenness of society and the brokenness we, we're all, if we're honest, can see within shows us for a, the lie that it is. Our only hope is not looking in, it's looking up. Real freedom is not finding ourselves, it's in finding Christ. His blood is the only force powerful enough to transform the human heart. There is power in the blood of Jesus. That's what this passage tells us. Do you come to God, worship God, fight sin, knowing the power of the blood of Jesus? Take a pause for a moment. What stands out to you from what we've looked at already from this passage? What jumps out to you? What does this passage teach you about God? Secondly, what does, it, what does it tell us about people? There's so many things this passage tells us of God, but what does it tell us also about people? Once we've come to God through Jesus, there's a few things this passage teaches us about people. And the first thing is this, our prayers matter to God and fuel the worship of heaven. Verse 8 tells us that these mystical supernatural creatures I haven't got time to go into the whys and wherefores of all of them, but, but these mystical, supernatural creatures worship God and they, and it says this, each had a harp and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people, which is encourage, encourages me because I've prayed some prayers that I thought fell on deaf ears, but it, this makes me realise that not one of our prayers is wasted. God is storing them all up. I don't know how it all works. He doesn't explain how it works, but this shows us that your prayers matter to God and they fuel the worship and the intercession of heaven itself. The prayers of God's people are precious in his sight. So next time the enemy whispers in your ear, praying's a waste of time, tell him to shove Revelation 5, 8 in his pipe and smoke it and carry on praying. Because your prayers matter to God. That's what this passage tells us about people. And you know what it also tells us? Is that what divides us is overwhelmed by what unites us. Verse 9 says, Your blood has ransomed people for God and from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. I know it can feel exhausting working on all the racial stuff and trying to understand, forgive and keep moving forward. It can feel exhausting trying to work on the relationships between men and women and how they all fit together. I know because many of my black and brown friends, many of my friends, both male and female, tell me how tiring this whole thing is. Keeping on holding out for hope that the future can be any different to the past. But let this heavenly vision give you strength, give us strength to keep going because it tells you the future in God's unstoppable plan. It's a vision of every tribe, every nation, every people united around the throne of God. Jesus' blood has already done the heavy lifting to make it happen. What unites us has overwhelmed what divides us and it's blood, his blood and his sacrifice that unites us. So what else does it tell us about people? Well, it tells us that we're, a mission, we're on a mission, that we have got a mission, that we're a kingdom of priests. 
verse uh, 10 says this, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. We like that bit, don't we? We will reign. <laughs> People have to do what we've got, to, what we say. Yeah, but actually us reigning is set in the context of the reality that our identity has changed. We're no longer those people who just want to get their own way. We are a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? Well, priests in the Old Testament and the Jewish culture stood between God and people. They stood in the gap. They represent people to God and God to people. We're called to be a people like that who stand in the gap between those who are far from God and God himself. That's why Jesus said to his followers, freely you have received, now freely give. How do we reign? Like our master, Jesus, like a servant laying down our lives, giving away that which he has given to us. Like the young man who just finished his shift at a local restaurant and spent half an hour of his wages on a pizza for a homeless guy, or the young mums who give their time to run a group for preschool children and their parents, showing the love of Jesus for little ones, or the woman who's prayed for salvation for a family for over 20 years and just won't stop. We're a kingdom of priests. We have a mission. So what do we need to do as a result of hearing these things? That's the third question of a Discovery Bible study. First, what, do we, what does it tell us about God? Secondly, what does this passage tell us about people? Thirdly, what do we need to do as a result of hearing these things? Jesus said to his followers, now that you've heard these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. We don't obey Jesus to earn his love. No, we already have his love. Our obedience is a response to all that he's done. It's a great, great, it's a, uh, an aligning, a grateful aligning with the fact that his words change the world. And we know if we align our lives with them, we get changed and we change others through us. Maybe, maybe you need to believe afresh in the power of the blood of Jesus, to bring forgiveness, to break change, to unite you to those who are far away. For you, it's a believing and a living out of the blood of Jesus and what it's achieved for you. Maybe you need to step into your new identity as a priest of God, to stand in the gap for those around you in, the, in need of Jesus. Maybe there's some names even coming into your mind as I'm talking. There's something you need to do this week to become a priest to that person, to pray for them, to care for them. Maybe you need to go for a walk in nature and remind yourself that God has a plan, that he's bigger than all of this. Get a clear frame of reference for that. What do you need to do as a result of reading this passage? And lastly, who can I share this with? That's the fourth question in the Discovery Bible study. You know, one of my biggest revelations in this last year is that it's the word of God that multiplies and changes the world. I kind of knew that, but I've never seen it so clearly before. Acts 12, 24 says, the meanwhile, the word of God continues to spread. There were many new believers. It's the word of God that transformed lives and brought them into alignment with this great king. God doesn't need more lakes who store up and store up, becoming more stagnant with God's word but because they never share it. He needs us to be rivers who freely receive and freely give that the word of God flows through our lives. So who needs to hear this message? Who could you sit down with an open Bible and use these simple four questions to explore this passage together? Take a moment to reflect, ask the Holy Spirit, who needs to hear this that you could share with? Who could be one that you cause the word of God to multiply into their lives? Allow, let's allow the word of God to multiply through us. Let's multiply this truth that he's got a plan. Let's multiply his words through us about who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed 
connecting with this passage. One of my favourites, such a rich passage. Let's take away all the things that God's spoken to us. Now that we've heard these things, let's go and live them out. God bless you. Thanks for listening.